Hey everybody, and welcome to this uh, special episode of Fangirl Radio. I'm your host, Jessica Dwyer, and with me tonight is the lovely and talented Rachel Moore. Good evening. And also, not so ghostly, is the lovely Amanda. Finally. Yeah, I'm not a ghost anymore. I graduated. She's full of ectoplasm. I don't know. Um, But anyway, thank you, Amanda, for finally having a voice to add to the show. (laughs) We're very excited because um, we have to get into the Weekend Geek, and um, that Weekend Geek is definitely going to focus on The Walking Dead, which was awesome. Understatement. Um, As Amanda um, will attest, this episode was super, super good. And um, definitely... uh, Deviated from the uh, the comic book in a few ways, but Amanda, your thoughts? Did you love it? I just can't express how good that episode was. To me, that was the best episode of Walking Dead ever. Um, <clears throat> remember the the season finale of season one, and then the first episode of season two. It was like crazy 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 and then the first episode of season two it was like crazy and then suddenly it was nothing Sophia got lost and yeah this this totally brings it all back Um, it was nerve wracking it was exciting it was emotional it was everything it was just great well and I I loved how for those like as I've always said in the past if you haven't seen the episode by Thursday which is when this show airs there's something wrong with you and once again we had spoiler gate everywhere including rest in peace Shane trending on Twitter within moments of, of it going down mm-hmm. but um, the uh, I liked a lot of people are divided on the whole Shane thing of how he went down they wanted it to be more like the comic book um, I honestly loved how it went down I thought it was great it was um, the big reveal of the fact that it's an airborne um, contagion and everyone can come back, not just by via a bite. You're going to come back from the dead. And um, I liked how they had a dual reveal of that to both Glenn and Daryl and Rick and his son um, both see it with Shane. But I also really liked the lead up to Shane coming back. Um, I thought that was really well done with the intercut scenes of just the quick shots of the zombies. Um, I thought that was cool because two things, you don't know if that's how it, it is to when you come back, if that's what's going through your flashing into your brain and that's why you're um, you know, instantly eating people when you return or if that was just showing the horde that was coming closer to the, the house. Um, I really liked how they did that. What do you think? I just have to admit that when they started showing that, I was like, what the heck is this? What are, what are yeah. they showing here? Are they getting, like, crazy on the show or what? Taking it in a new direction? And then I thought, like you, maybe it was what he was going through. He was dying and, and the virus was taking over. And um, it freaked me out when he got up and started walking. I was like, he isn't a zombie. How is he a zombie? And it was just crazy. And then he got he got shot in the head, you know. Um, <laughs> what got me about that was um, Carl was lifting up the gun like he was going to shoot his dad before Shane even got up. So what does that mean there? 
you know? Well, I think he saw it. I think he saw Shane rising up and, you know, because everybody was focused on, on Rick. But I really liked how that played out. So it gave homage to the comic book and what happened there. I was just amazed that he had that good of aim. <laughs> I was yeah. like, shoot, man, he took a headshot, 20 points. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, uh, I also really liked the um, the respect that they gave to Dale. And the one scene that got me, everybody's talking about Shane, but I really have to give props to um, Lori Holden for making me tear up and almost cry with just standing in the sunlight and mm-hmm. no no talking there was no talking between her and Glenn she was just standing there and with her face was able to express the you know the the while she was helping Glenn work on the RV you could tell what was going on through her head of her remembering um Dale and knowing that that was something that she had done with him in the past and just her expression and he, her and Stephen Young did an amazing job with that scene and um it was really touching and you got a little bit of what she felt for him in the comics too so i really really loved that scene and it just you know laurie holden is an amazing actress so she did great i really liked that uh, yeah um, i agree yeah, i have to so say that the whole episode was just magnificent it's the best one they've had so far i believe i really do i, I can't wait I, till I, next week Oh, God, I can't wait. It's going to be... I, I'm taking bets on who's going to go down. I think it's going to be... Um, I'm putting money on T-Dog. <laughs> so, what sorry, makes you guys, say that, I Jessica? T-Dog, <laughs> and I think Carol is probably going to bite it. Um, and simply because her... There's two things that are going to happen with Carol, I think. Here's why I think it's going to happen. She's either going to go down hard and get devoured and or um she's um daryl's gonna have to shoot her to put her out of her misery a la dale or she's gonna get hurt um, dying and uh he's gonna have to you know watch her die and it's gonna make him go crazy batshit take out about 50 zombies on his own in rage and um I, that, that would be hot and it would be awesome <laughs> so uh i i think daryl's gonna stick around though and yeah i think herschel will probably stick around and i know maggie probably will um because you know we're getting ready to go to the governor the governor's coming so if glenn dies i'm gonna be pissed they won't kill glenn god if they kill glenn they're really gonna piss off a lot of people i don't and think you know, he's going down what would be even cooler uh, is if one of the leaders of that group that's down the street is merle Oh, I think that's gonna. I think he's gonna be with the governor. Honestly, I think he's coming back with the governor. I think he's gonna be one of the governor's right hands. He he he. Um, But Rachel, I think you have something to add to the weekend geek as we ramble about our hot zombie killing men. I just think it's it's worth mentioning that this week would have been um, Douglas Adams' uh, 60th birthday. Aww. And we owe so much to Doug, and um, he's so amazing. And so it's a great time because we have a generation of fangirls who don't know Douglas Adams other than don't know the Hitchhiker's Guide outside um, the horrible mo- movie adaptation and have never read the Dirk Gently books that are should be unrelated to the Dirk 
gently um, botchery of a TV show that the BBC really dropped the ball on. So um, I think that in honor of uh, of uh, Doug, we should all read Dirk Gently books this week. That's my my week in geek. And they if and you know what, um, kitties out. Uh, there young girls that don't know who we're talking about with Douglas Adams um, you can stream on Netflix I do believe the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy the original um, yes miniseries was was on there at one time or go to your local library um, and rent it or go check out the book there's and also it was originally a radio show go find the radio exactly. show it's online it's all sorts of places there um also, there have been graphic novel adaptations. Also, there's video uh, games. There's the video games. Um, Starship Titanic is still very playable all this time later, and um, and yeah, there there's just a rich world. I mean, D- Doctor Who wouldn't be who Doctor Who is without Douglas. Um, you know that a lot is owed to him. So, D- Douglas Adams wrote um, some of the most iconic. Uh, Doctor Who episodes. There's um, just, you know, and the lost Doctor Who episode also. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Douglas Adams has a rich, beautiful history. He, Terry Pratchett, Neil Gaiman are like the the ungodly trio of fantasy, sci-fi, snarkydom. Well, Neil put together a great um, book about him called The Salmon of Doubt with some of his um, writings published posthumously and great interviews, so it's a great way to get to know uh, Doug's work overall if you've never read anything of him before. Right, and um, you really should check his stuff out. Um, it's kind of a horrific thought to me that people that are considered consider themselves science fiction fans, um, Doctor Who fans, and and of that ilk don't know Douglas Adams. Yeah, because he touched upon all this stuff. Um, a long time ago and it influenced it to this day so check it out right now um barnes and noble does have a barnes and noble edition of all of his hitchhiker books in one volume for twenty dollars so it's a good deal it's good and it's pretty it's It's very pretty (laughs) (laughs) we're going to move along to uh one of the things that i also work on and support um which is Harhound Magazine's Harhound Weekend Convention. We're going to talk to Nathan Hanneman, who is the editor-in-chief of Harhound, and discuss the upcoming show, which is in, um, at this point, it's in two weeks. So um, when this episode airs, it will be the following weekend. Um, also, uh, after that, we'll be talking to Darren Lynn Boozman, um, the man behind some of the best of the Saw franchise. Also, Revo, the Genetic Opera, and talking to him about his new show, um, his new film, actually, The Devil's Carnival, where he has teamed back up with his Repo crew to bring us a trip to hell. And apparently, um, God's the bad guy. That ain't going to get you in trouble. So it's no secret that um, my in my spare time, I write for the awesome Horror Hound magazine and the and work at the equally awesome Horror Hound weekend conventions. And um, so with us tonight to talk about the upcoming show um, that we are putting on um, in the weekend of March, um, March 23rd through the 25th in Columbus, Ohio, is none other than Nathan Hanneman, the man in charge of Harhound Magazine and Harhound Weekend. Hello. <laughs> Welcome, Nate. <laughs> Hi. So, 
How's everyone so doing? let's. How are you doing? How you doing? So um. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to um talk about um the show. So do you want to give us a little bit of information about what's going on and when and where? Um. Well, it's going on at the Portland Weekend, Columbus, Ohio. I think it's the Crown Plaza, Columbus North. All the details are on whorehoundweekend.com. And uh, we're just trying to get all the celebrities there that we can. As, uh, as, as, as they make themselves available, uh, Pam Greer's coming, um, Cassandra Peterson, who people better know as Elvira. <laughs> and we're, we're doing, uh, there's so many, Day of the Dead reunion, Tyler Maine's going to be there, Doug Bradley. And Norman Reedus. Now, Norman Reedus, can't forget him. But um, apparently now, Terrence Zudnick is going to be in attendance as well. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know who that is, that is Grave Robber from Repo, the Genetic Opera, as well as um, he is in the new Devil's Carnival that's coming out um, that is directed by Darren Lynn Boozman once again. Yeah, and I believe they both, they both wrote and... Although they both wrote Repo and Devil's Carnival. Yeah, um, I think together they did. And all the music. And, yeah, the trailer's on, I think it's on, what is it, the devilscarnival.com? Uh, right, I think it is. And, and you can always go through Terrence's website and check that out. But um, the other cool stuff that you've got going, we've got going on at the show is it, we're doing a big celebration of women in horror. And uh, yeah. we've got some classy names here, like Tippi Hedren. We got Barbara Crampton, Julie, Ad Julie Adams. Yeah. Uh, oh, there's, Julie a, Adams. there's a name I. There's a name we just added that Jessica doesn't even know about. Ooh, who is that? <laughs> live on live on the show. Um, Sherilyn Finn from Twin Peaks. <gasps> oh my God, she dated <laughs> Donnie Depp. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did she? <laughs> yes, she did, and that and that's the thing that Jessica gasped about. I was gasping over Twin Peaks. Jessica, I'm, ga I'm, I'm gasping. I'm gasping. ever closer to her ultimate stalker. <laughs> I am gasping Go over the fact that she played Elizabeth Taylor and looked exactly like her young. Oh, she's gorgeous. Yeah. So that's awesome. The people listening to this show, they just witnessed what it's like when we make these phone calls on a personal level. <laughs> <laughs> I thought she was a little toned down, personally. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, we've there's some great stuff going on here too. We've got um, Stuart Gordon for those who love Reanimator and From Beyond, and, and Doug Bradley's going to be there. Or Gunnar Hansen. Basically, we got three of the biggies um, in the realm of slashers. We've got Michael Myers, um, uh, Leatherface, and Hel Pinhead, you know, represented, and uh, it's just shaping up to be a great show you got adrian barbeau who's you know adrian one of the barbeau. toughest yeah toughest chicks in cinema um and then first time ever the face of dawn of the dead um john paul the man um known as the plaid shirt zombie whose mug is everywhere when it comes to dawn of the dead this is his first show which yeah, is he awesome. didn't even know he was a halloween mask <laughs> That you not cute. know that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing when when these people don't know, you know, thirty years later the the impact they've had because they just, you know, they've 
they just weren't out there. They weren't seeing it, and, and he gets to witness firsthand uh, the, the, the psychotic thing that is a horror hound weekend. It is it is scary, but I'm I'm you know I'm as excited about Pam Greer as anybody else. I that woman is a goddess. She is amazing, so I'm very excited about her being there. And yeah, uh, she has some of the best Hedman. stories. And uh, Pam Pam Greer, she she has some of the best stories. And, and we don't normally do this at the show, but we're actually doing a a single panel with Pam Greer just to so she uh, so the fans can actually hear some of those stories. She. Uh, has a lot of them and she tells them well <laughs> well and you got to remember she's one of those girls that was uh, back in the day when Corman was doing all those flicks over in the Philippines she was in a lot of those and just the craziness that went on <laughs> over there you can see it in that Machete Maidens Unleashed um, documentary on Netflix right now but there's some nutty stuff that went on <laughs> so I am very excited about um, her being there and just Tippy Hedren too who I found out has a tattoo and she got it like when she was 80 years old <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> so this is going to be a great show and what are some of the other little events that you've got going on Nate I know we have some panels um, oh Tom yeah. Stockman's going to be joining us again who just got nominated for the Rondo Award for what he did at our last event last year and he's going to do a Yay. Super 8 marathon of um, celebrating the Universal Shock Theater package. Uh, it's awesome. going to be capped off with a 3D screening of a uh, Super 8 creature from the Black Lagoon. That'll be fun. Those were great. That yeah, that room was always packed every every uh, time I went in there. Was it? Oh, it was. <laughs> I'm so busy. I don't even get to see this <laughs> stuff. I want to. I wanted to check this one out. I know that um, the Coney Island Rock and Roll Roadshow is performing Saturday night at the event. And uh, there's also an after party for that. Um, there's a costume contest on Saturday as well. Saturday's packed. Saturday's yeah. going to be a big day. Um, but, yeah, so if you guys are are around Columbus, Ohio, March 23rd, 24th, and 25th, come over to Horrorhound Weekend at the Crown Plaza in Columbus North and check us out. You can get tickets at the door. Um, it's going to be packed. There's going to be... Um, it's going to be crowded, but it'll be a great time. And uh, you should totally uh, come check us out. Come say hi. Um, I'll be running around there. Nate will be running around, and the whole Horrorhound crew will be there. Um, and, you know, it's, you it's pick up craziness. The latest issue as well. Yeah, pick up the latest issue with our Johnny Depp with Barnabas Collins cover. Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. He's in every aspect of my show. Oh, my like, goodness. <laughs> It's a sickness. <laughs> it's a sickness. But it's a, it's a, you know, it's a nice sickness. It's, it's a friendly sickness. Okay. <laughs> uh, so um, with that, you know, guys, come over. Um, Friday, the show starts at 5 p.m. till 10. Saturday, it starts at 11 a.m., goes till 7. Actually, it ends probably at 2 in the morning after the after party. And uh, <laughs> Sunday... Who knows when it ends? It probably won't. Um, and then Sunday from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. So uh, go check out horrorhoundweekend.com. Get all the details and uh, come come visit us in two weeks. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Nate. <laughs> Thank you. Um, everybody, I want to welcome Darren Lynn Boozman to the show. Uh, Darren has given us quite a bit in the First off, I'm not going to talk to you unless you call me Darren Lynn Bowsman. 
Oh, <laughs> I, I always do that. I'm, uh, no, it's totally okay. You can call me there. whatever you want. <laughs> Here's Baby Doll. Baby Doll's here to talk about. Oh, no. <laughs> you did right. it now. I did. I got it out of the way now. It's okay. Right. They're the Bowsman. Thank you. Uh, thank you. <laughs> and he's here to talk about um, his new film that is sort it's not really it's not a sequel to Rebo and it's it's uh, but it is a musical called The Devil's Carnival and um, we're all very excited about this because uh, we're all huge fans of your previous work and especially Repo because that was just um, one of the best things to I actually picked that as my um, horror film of the year the year it came out so we're oh, thank very, you very much we're very excited about it so what kind of details can you give us because from what i've heard it's sort of like kind of a throwback to some of the hammer it's sort of like the hammer storylines like um dr terror's house of horrors and where you have three people that are brought to this dark area of of, of uh, the supernatural yeah um you know here's the thing is that First off, Terrence and I wanted we, we wanted to come back and kind of re-explore the Repo world since the day we made Repo, but, you know, it, numerous problems existed in there. Number one, uh, Lionsgate owns the property we don't, so, you know, we're kind of at the mercy of Lionsgate if they ever want to make a Repo sequel or not. Secondly, we really wanted to do something that, uh, you know, we had complete control over, that, that there was not someone telling us what we could and couldn't do, because nothing pisses me off more than people tell me what I can or can't do. And so, you know, it was a it was a big deal for us to be able to do something completely um, where we held the key to either it be awesome or be terrible. If it sinks or swim, if it succeeds or fails, it it would be our fault. Um, which is, 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 is for a filmmaker, it's one of the best things. It's like not having to answer, I think, to anybody. So that was the reason we wanted to do it. And you know, Terrence and I are both a fan of of two things: musicals or music, and and the macabre and and things that are dark. And so we set off to try to do that again, um, yet still kind of adhere to the same repo community and repo rules that we set up. And uh, the kind of joke that I always made is, is that I wanted to make the anti-glee. And that's, <laughs> that's exactly what this thing is. It ended up being the anti-glee. It's a, uh, 60, it's a little over 60 minutes, but it's a, it's, it's, it's about an, it's, it's a pilot, basically, episode of what we want to turn into a series of other episodes. Um, and it is, you know, for every, you know, for every 10 people that watch Glee, there's a hundred that hate it. And I, I watch Glee. I do. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I watch Glee, but I know there are people out there that hate it. And this is for the people that hate Glee and want that kind of more dark macabre kind of twist on it. So I would call this like a cross between, uh, Tales from the Crypt, well, I hear you. Tales from the Crypt meets Glee or the anti-Glee. That's awesome. And I appreciate that much. <laughs> yeah, we're, um, we're a split household here. I'm I I love Glee, um, and I love to hate Glee, but Jessica Jessica's never come over to my side. But I'm a musical theater geek, so I have to. And you know, it's so that's so are Terrence and I. I think that um, you know, I started off my first my first kind of major in college and all throughout high school was theater. I was in things from Jesus Christ Superstar to Into the Woods to. Uh, little shop of horrors to all of that. And there was just something magical about it. 
yet I think musicals can also be extremely lame if they're not done correctly. <laughs> um, they they have a ch- you know there's, there's the wrong way a musical is done is very bubblegum, and we're trying to do the opposite of that. Everything that we try to do is the kind of the antithesis of that bubblegum poppy type of thing. Um, I, you know, and I think there's a fine line because you want people to feel good while they're watching it. You also want to kick them in the balls and uh, make them hate themselves. So we kind of try to. <laughs> blow that line so you're happy but you're also really sad at the same time well my my thing is i was looking at the cast list for this and it's 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 wonderful to see a bunch of the people from repo came back because there were so many great voices and and actors in that film but you've got some new people in there how did you cast this and get all these people together you know i've been extremely lucky with uh this project I got everyone that I wanted. There was there was no one really in this thing that I, I couldn't get or we weren't able to get. And uh, everyone you see there is, is my first choice. And I'll give you an example. When um, Dayton Cowley, who's one of my favorite actors, Dayton Cowley is in two of my favorite TV shows, Deadwood and Sons of Anarchy. And uh, when we were writing the role of Ticket Keeper, I said, I got to get Dayton Cowley. And um, he was who we went to and we got him right away. And, uh, you know, it was very, very, very serendipitous. Um, hey, can you guys hold on just one second? I'm so, so sorry. One second. Oh, it's okay. So, um, that's, it kind of happened that way with every single cast member that, uh, we just went to them. And I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot easier for me to get actors in something like this than it is for me to get them in something like Saw because this is so unique and this is so different. And this is so, um, specific. I think that actors want to, like, like filmmakers, they want to take risks. They want to do something different. They want to do something unique. And how often do you get a chance to come in and, and sing in a crazy musical set in hell? Not very often. <laughs> and I think that we were able to, to get the people that we wanted. Um, the whole thing with, with Clown and, and Ivan Moody, which is another, uh, which is another just crazy thing. Uh, I also look for the what-the-fuck factor, which in, in everything that I do is, is I want... I want everything I do to kind of be a train wreck or a car wreck. Well, you know, you, you, you just can't take your eyes off of it. You're just forced to look and be like, what the fuck have they just done? Hence why you put Paris Hilton and Sarah Brightman in a scene together. You want that, what the fuck? <laughs> and so to me, uh, we, we looked at who we had, and I said, okay, who is someone that, again, not only do I, look, I respect as, as an artist, but, you know, it's going to give me something that, that people aren't expecting. And, and so, again, you take someone like Slipknot, who... You know, their entire persona, their entire act is, is behind masks, yet they've created a huge fandom uh, around them, and yet no one knows who they really are because they're, they're behind masks. So I thought that, number one, that takes a badass to pull something like that off. And uh, Clown, you know, starting that group, he, the guy's a true artist, so he was a no-brainer. Um, Ivan, uh, you know, it's funny, Ivan came to me the, way, the same way Ogre did. Someone brought his name up, and I wasn't familiar with him. And then I went online and started researching not only him, but Five Finger Death Punch. And again, you see this guy who's a risk taker and he's got huge fucking balls. And I, to me, I respond to that, as, as again, as a director more than anything. That to see other people in different parts of their career doing the same thing I'm trying to do. And, and I think that uh, we hit it off immediately. We started talking and we, we hit it off. And, and so I lucked out, I think, very, very much on this cast. That's awesome. And so what sort of... Um, music can we expect from this because uh, with Repo we went from operatic with people like Sarah Brightman and, and Servino just you know nailing these gorgeous aria type of things and um, what can we expect from this uh, in terms of like is it 
majorly rock influenced? Is there some opera in there, classical stuff? Or no, there's no opera. I don't know how you describe this music, and I've I've, I've asked numerous people that have heard the album to to, to describe it, and it's kind of undescribable. Undis- un- uh, and I think that's what makes it so cool is you you really can't you can't put it in a genre. I'm not sure what it would be if you were forced to. It's um. It's definitely got vaudevillian, circusy, dark, demented circus. Um, yet it also has influences from the artists we put in it. I mean, you'll hear Emily Autumn as the painted doll. Uh, she's not. She doesn't play Emily Autumn in this, and, and it's definitely something different. But I think they all influenced it a little bit. Um, you know, it, it's definitely. I think the music is more accessible than Repo was, um, but it's also in something, in some respects, more ballsy. I think that Terrence is, is elevated himself, not only as an actor and a writer, but, but as a musician this time around as well. Uh, we have a new co-composer in this one, uh, a guy named Sar Hendelman, who's, who's fantastic as well. So, you know, I think, the, I think people are really going to be surprised when they, when they actually hear the music on this. It is so different than Repo and unique, yet it, it holds a common thread. And I think that's the most important thing, is that uh, people that loved Repo, this is not that far of a stretch away from Repo either. Okay. So and I'm curious how you came to um, put together the, the story of this. Why a circus? You, you know, you start with something that's visual. In Saw, I would always start with what was my biggest fear or what was I scared by in that case. It was needles and fire and knives. And in this, you just look at it, it's kind of the same thing. You look at what you find visual and what's visual. Well, to me, circuses and or carnivals are, are visual. So it, it started, that's where it started. Um, and then I've always been fascinated with, with hell and uh, that whole kind of thematic thing in films. But in fact, my last three movies have all had to deal with the devil and hell. 1111, the one I'm doing right now called Abattoir, uh, and then The Barons, which is about the devil. I just, something, something fascinates me about it. Um, so I, I also wanted to, to do hell in a different way. There is no fire and brimstone here. It's fun. It's carnies. It's freaks. It's you know, it's, it's something bigger than life and very cartoony. And I think that that, uh, that was kind of exciting as well, to take my own spin on a more accessible hell, um, where it would have been very easy to go with, you know, people being tortured and all that. And we, we went the opposite way. We had everyone having a good time in hell. And in fact, in respect, some respects, God's the villain in this story. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'll be different. Um, yeah, I think so people are really going to respond to that. Christian <laughs> people are going to love it. Um, so uh, the one thing I did want to ask you about was the Barons. Um, how, where is how how when can we expect that? Well, um, I leave on Friday. Actually, Terrence and I get on a plane on Friday morning to go to Toronto uh, for three purposes. Purpose one is we're we're, we're uh, going to be at I, I think it's called the Toronto Comic Con. Uh, two is we mix the Devil's Carnival, and three is I mix and di the Barons which uh, I'm really, really proud of the Barons, and very, very much so. It's, um, it's a different film for me. Um, and I try to do something different with every movie that I do. I mean, from Saw to Repo to Mother's Day uh, to Devil's Carnival and 11-11, now to this. It's, um, it's unique. It's different. It's very um, reserved, I think. I would call it like a cross between Shining meets Jaws in the Woods is the best way to kind of, kind of describe it. Um, it's, it's about a descent into madness. Uh, and you're watching this guy basically have a complete breakdown um, set against the backdrop of, of New Jersey uh, and this devil that's chasing them. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's a really kind of, and Stephen Moyer is fucking fantastic in it. Moyer is, 
most people know him from Bill Compton and True Blood, but I, I think that people really, really are going to be surprised when they see how great of an actor he is. Cause he, gets, he gets the ability in this to do, to do a lot of things he doesn't get to do in True Blood. Well, and, and Mia Kirshner is, is also phenomenal. Yeah, exactly. Mia Kirshner from The L Word is, is amongst many other things. Uh, she's also great. So I think I've just been extremely lucky in, in my career thus far that I've worked with cool, cool actors. Um, and people, again, that I watch and I'm fans of, too, I think that's the other thing which is crazy, is, you know, I, I would say 99.9% of everyone I've worked with, I'm a fan of uh, way before I've ever cast them. So that was, that was also exciting. So, um, with, with did, did you expect Repo to be as big a deal as it became? Like the the it's sort of become this new version of, you know, the uh, it's it's taken on the mantle from Rocky Horror Picture Show as as just a phenomenal cult classic at this point. I mean, Rachel has got a craft group that's all about Repo. Yeah, you have a what group? There's a there's a website I'm on, and we do craft swaps, and um, we periodically do repo the genetic opera craft swaps. So you craft for somebody else and make them um, their own kind of personalized repo stuff. That's and great. So like I did. Well, a that's fantastic. Um, you know, no, we did, we didn't. I, I think that we we had maybe a different visions of repo. I mean, we we set off to make a movie. You don't set off to say I'm going to go make a cult film. <laughs> I think that if you do that, you're destined to failure, and that's why you see a lot of you see a lot of posers that that hints have tried to make their movies cult, and they fail miserably. You can't make anything cult; it has to become it. And uh, you know, that was one of our biggest critiques we got when Repo came out. Is a lot of haters came out saying, "Oh, they're trying to be a cult film." No, we were trying to be a mainstream film. I really hoped it was going to make tens of millions of dollars and be in three thousand theaters. Now, the best thing that happened to me is it wasn't in three thousand theaters; it was in two. Uh, because I think that if it would have gone to 3,000 theaters, it would have failed miserably. People would have laughed at it. No one would have got it, and it would have been, you know, it would have disappeared like so many other films. I think the best thing that happened to Repo was it was shunned, and people did turn their back on it, because then the true fans found it, and, uh, you know, they they basically put it on their shoulders and walked it up the hill. Um, so, so often we're, we're told what to like. You have bus stop ads of saying, hey, Immortals comes out this week, go see it. You have radio ads and TV commercials and all this shit being thrown down your throat saying, this is cool, this is cool, this is cool. And I think that where Repo succeeded is we didn't have any of that. We had none of it. We had no P&A. We had a couple of dudes on a MySpace account. I say MySpace because it was before Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. Um, and we were able to, to basically reach the fans, and, and the fans were able to do what they did. So your answer is, did we think it was going to be this big? No. We thought it was going to be bigger in the extent of financially, but we never had any idea that it was going to become, uh, you know, this embraced by the fans and turned into this cult, at, uh, you know, cult experience, which I think as an artist is the coolest thing in the world to, to have. Most filmmakers, most artists, most actors work their entire life, and they never see what we got to see with Repo. Uh, example, how many people are, are going off and, and acting out movies in front? How many people, be it Batman Begins or any of these other films that had huge, huge critical acclaim and, and made tons and tons of money. Um, the movie ends when you leave the theater. Now, there are those diehard fans that will dress up like the Joker on Halloween and do whatever, but, but usually the experience of seeing a movie ends the minute you walk out of the theater. With Repo, it's a constant changing piece of art. Every time you see it, it's something different, uh, from, from callbacks that the audiences are doing to costumes to, to what you take out of the experience. And I think that that's amazing. I mean, to be... 
in my 30s and have a movie where people dress up like the characters we created and wait in lines for hours to see it or to meet us from doing this and have bodily tattoos all over them, you know, about Repo, most people will never get to see that. And I think to, to have it happen once is, is something, it's incredible, and to see it happening already again is kind of mind-blowing. That's great. Well, and I know that um, just at Comic-Con, too, they, I, like, I believe every year they have a Repo the Genetic Opera showing, and, and it yeah. sells out every time. It does. It's, well, it's crazy that Repo is still selling out when it, when it shows, and it's, um, it, it's, 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 it's crazy to think about that we started four years ago and had one theater that went to two, and, and uh, we were taken out of the theaters almost immediately. <laughs> um, and now to, to see that it, not only is it still playing all across the world, and I say the world because it still shows in Barcelona and it still shows in, in the UK and all over in Germany, but that it sells out and that people are still as excited seeing it now as they were back then. And you're seeing new people being introduced to it all the time. And I think that's uh, it's, it's pretty crazy. Well, and um, the one thing I wanted to ask you for sure, I know you said that it's at the mercy of Lionsgate if there's ever a sequel, but I know there was talk of a prequel where we would get more Anthony Head. Um, yeah, we, uh, Terrence and I's ultimate goal, I think Darren Smith was uh, to do, I, it was an, it originally envisioned as a three-part thing. It was a prequel, the one you see, and then a sequel that, that came after that. Um, and listen, if, if all the planets aligned and, and God willing, Lionsgate opened their arms back to us and said, please come make this movie, we would absolutely love to. I think all of us really want to explore that again and go back to that world. Uh, the prequel, I think, would be the best thing to do. Um, we have a story that we all love. The cast has all said they would come back. Um, everybody. So, and that's, and that's something else crazy. Is usually when you do a sequel or a prequel, you don't get the original people. I think we would get 99.9% of everyone back. But again, it's, it's in the movie God's hands now. It's not up to Terrence or Darren or I. And that's, you know, another reason why we did Devil's Carnival. We want to control our own fate. With Repo, we don't control our own fate. Someone else does. Someone else that sits in an office and punches numbers into a calculator decides if, if, um, if we can do something. And I think with, with Devil's Carnival, we don't need anyone to tell us what we can do. Um, in that case, it truly, completely is up to the fans, completely. We self-financed this Devil's Carnival. There was no one in there. There was no, there was no big conglomerate, you know, giving us checks and, and doing whatever. It was, it was me and my checkbook, my wife's checkbook, and one other person. And uh, that's bad. And the fact that you know we're putting so much up, but it's also good in the fact that I know I control it. That there's no one else that can trump me. There's, there's no one else that can come and say you can't do that. I, it's, it's, it is what I. It, it's all up to me at this point. Um, and so I think that's, uh, you know, we'll see what happens, but. It, you will, I, we will not be stuck in a position on Devil's Carnival like we were with Repo. That's good. I know, I know that um, I think it was around either a year before or a year later that the whole debacle happened with um, Midnight Meat Train where they kind of screwed it over too. Um, in yeah, terms it was. Of um, same, same basic thing happened. that you know They were, they were released and uh, the studio, I think in Midnight Meat Train they actually got 100 screens, but they were all dollar theaters. Yeah, which, uh, which is I weird. Think, which is crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. And I, by the way, I love the Midnight Meat Train. I, I actually saw it with Clive Barker and the director, and I, I was absolutely disturbed and disgusted by it. I think that's what you want in those type of movies. So it's crazy that one of the things that we're trying to do with the Repo Road Show, and I, and I hope and I encourage fans to support what we're doing in, in one respect, 
is we're, we're basically showing that you don't need a distributor to tell you if your movie's good or if it's going to work. You can take the movie to the fans. You can take the movie to the audience. There is a huge audience for Midnight Meat Train. Is it, is it the mainstream audience? No, it's not. But there's a huge audience for it. You just have to let them find it and give it to them. And I think that uh, that's exactly what we're doing with this, and that's exactly what we did with uh, Repo. You take the movie to the audience, you let them find it, and let them embrace it, and let them be your PR campaign. And that's exactly what we're doing here. We're letting, you know, we're letting the audience, you know, we're counting on the audience to some extent to help us with the PR campaign. Because, again, when you break down our corporation, the Devil's Carnival, it's four guys. It's myself, Terrence, Spooky Dan, and, and Joe Bashar, basically, and Saar, the guy who was the co-composer, uh, doing everything you see, from the merch store to the, the tour booking, to the floor walling, the theaters, to the music. And, you know, usually it takes a, a big company to, to do what we're doing. And we just show that with a little hard work, and if you believe in what you're doing, you can actually accomplish it. You can get it in theaters. You can get merch out there. You can get CDs released. Um, so it, it's a hard thing, but it's also extremely rewarding. Well, it's, it's sort a of like a recurring theme on our show. I mean, everybody who's coming here is saying, look, if, if we want to make the kind of smart, beautiful, um, creative music or movies or TV show that we want to make, uh, there's more and more uh, creative people going to Kickstarter or going to raising their own funds or starting their own street teams and and making beautiful um, beautiful pieces. I mean, the thing that got me from the little bit of the promo stuff I've seen for um, the upcoming show and the thing that was great about Repo was that it's it's lush, it's gorgeous, it doesn't look like a B-movie. We did it it doesn't look well, like... Well, thank you. Well, the thing that's crazy is we did that for a penny. I mean, we, we seriously... Yeah. I'm not going to talk about what our budget was, but, I mean, it, it was it was next to nothing. I mean, no one made money on this movie. None of the actors really made anything. Right. No one made money doing this thing. It was something that we were able to pull off because everyone believed in the project. And I think that that's it. If you have passion behind something, you get something that is so much more valuable than a million-dollar set or million-dollar, you know, million-dollar effects. I think that it's all about passion and love. And I think everyone that was involved in this was passionate about what they were doing, and they loved it. Well, and it's kind of funny how you are, are doing sort of old-school way of promoting your film um, as opposed to, yeah, but you're utilizing the Internet for what it should be utilized for. Um, because I've I've talked to filmmakers in the past, and they're like, the Internet's one of the worst things that have ever happened to cinema and the best thing, because people go out and trash everything or give a preconceived notion of what it is everywhere you go, but you can also utilize it to get the word out on your film. Well, I tell you, the, the Internet, I mean, it's right. I can't probably say it better than that. I mean, it's a blessing and it's a curse. But, yeah, everyone becomes a critic, which, which fucking sucks. Um, but I think more so than that, even what, what kind of sucks about the internet nowadays is that not only does everyone become a critic, everyone uploads your shit and they feel obligated and, and they feel that it's their right to do so. And I, I've gotten in so many fights with, 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 um, pirates and, and torrent users. My own family, my own sister is a torrent. I mean, she, she goes online and watches all my movies for free. Um, <laughs> And it, it, it's like it's hard to argue someone who feels that they not only are justified doing it, it's their, it's their God-given right to do that. And I don't think that people realize what it's like when, as me as an artist, struggle for years to get something made, and then with a click of a button, some douchebag in his, in, his, in his back, you know, in his garage can upload the movie, and it can be then sent to a million users w within an hour. 
Um, and I think that th- that's horrible. But that's why, again, we made Devil's Carnival. Go ahead and upload the fucking movie and steal the soundtrack and do whatever. You're not going to get the experience that, that you would if you go to the road show. The road show is not about sitting in the movie theater and watching the movie. That's not what it's about. It's about sitting in the movie, sitting in the theater, watching the movie with 500 other fans that are as weird as you, that are as crazy as you, that are as fat as you, that are as skinny as you, that are as ugly as you, that are as disenfranchised as you feel. And it's having a community, it's having a family. And that, to me, what it's about. It's about, it's about going to a place that you feel like you belong and that you're not shunned or laughed at or announced you had, but you're embraced. And that's what Rocky Horror Picture Show did to me. And it made me want to be a filmmaker. It made me want to do things like this to create that that camaraderie, that sense of family you have when, when you're involved in something that you know is special. So I think that, again, when a movie like I do, like 11-11, that gets uploaded, an editor's cut gets uploaded online and gets reviewed months and months and months before we're done editing it, yet everyone feels that it's justified. Oh, fuck it, I'm not stealing it. I'm just hitting play on my, on my computer. That's not stealing it. Well, you, you sit there and you justify what you do to yourself. And it affects, it affects us. That's why Internet's bad. But then again, you just come back instead of bitching about it, which I used to. I used to bitch about how this fucking sucked. You do something about it. And so what I did about it is I went off and made a movie that it doesn't matter if you download it. It doesn't. It's not going to affect it because you're not going to get the same experience as you do when you go see a shadow cast of Repo, when you go see a shadow cast of Rocky Horror Picture Show. No one can capture that and film it on their cell phone and put it online. You can't do it. And I think that, you know, that's one thing, is making, making it fun to go back and see a movie, making it fun to have that experience. The other thing is, is that, you know, like, like you said, that where I think the Internet has become a blessing, though, is my reach and fans. Um, you know, b- before, when I even though I was doing Saw 2, I had MySpace, and I had 500 users. That's what I had, 500 users. Now, on Twitter and Facebook and Tumblr and all these other things, I can reach, you know, 100,000 users within a second. I can speak for myself now. I don't need a publicity person speaking for me. I can go out and I can, I can say what I want to say, and it reaches hundreds of thousands of people. That, that wasn't like that before. And so I think the, the Internet, like as you said, is a blessing, and it's also a curse. More so a blessing, though, for me, because I think I figured out how to maneuver myself around it, uh, where maybe five years ago I didn't know how to. Well, and, and MySpace is, you know, is like the graveyard now of, of the Internet, and with Facebook and Twitter has just become massive. It's it's bigger, I think, not than MySpace ever was, and people are are just interacting now that you would never ever ever expected to be on there. So it's yeah, it's exactly. Just, it's a great personal way of interacting with people, and um, fans love that. They love being able to like say, "Hey, Darren, how's how's the movie going?" or or whatever. And and when you respond back, it's a huge boost to them. They love that people love it so yeah. it's it's really great but um i think we're getting ready to run out of time darren i just wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about um where you come what the the uh the soonest uh spots you're going to drop at the uh the devil's carnival uh road tour which thank you for coming to portland we're very Yay! excited we're, so we're, we're going you. <laughs> yes. um you know we sweet we our premiere is on april 5th in los angeles and then from there we <laughs> we're doing it full-on dirtbag style. We have an RV that we're seriously going to be in for the next 60 days or 45 days after that. Um, and uh, we, we basically get in the car and we start driving. And, uh, you know, I don't know the order of which we go, but I think we go to Anaheim next. And, and, and from there, we just keep 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 on trucking. But I, I really hope that everyone, and there's three, just so I can explain what it is, 
so everything that you see, that what we're doing is called floor-walling theaters, which basically we buy the theaters. I actually go off and I rent the theaters myself. I pay to, to basically own the theater for the night. And so, you know, to do that, we obviously have to make the money back doing it. So there's three different ticket prices, but I think it's kind of cool. Um, one of the ticket prices to get you in the show, and people have asked, what is the show? Well, it differs per city. Every city is going to be completely different. Um, but it could be burlesque. It could be some carnival act. Um, it's something to start the show off. There's going to be never-before-seen, behind-the-scenes stuff on Repo, which is going to be exciting for the Repo fans out there. A lot of making of stuff that you've never seen before. Um, and then, eventually, you're going to get to the Devil's Carnival, which is, again, a 60-65 minute experience, uh, followed by Q&A. Every night, there's going to be someone unique there, whether that be another cast member or someone from the musician team. Uh, there's going to be always someone different there, and, and I, I can pretty pretty much say that every actor will, will be seen throughout the road tour at, at any number of stops. Um, but there's three ticket prices. One gets you in the show. The other one gets you in the show and a signed poster from Terrence and I. And the last one does a meet and greet, which basically allows them to come in and get their seat early, meet Terrence and myself, take pictures, all of that. Um, but I encourage everyone to please, uh, if you liked Repo, even if you hated Repo, come out and check and see what we're doing because I don't think you're going to get this experience uh, very many places, kind of what we're doing. At least hopefully not. That is awesome. We are so there, Rachel. Yeah. No, you no, understand no. that, right? <laughs> we're yeah, going to I, as soon as I saw, I'm like, oh, uh, we better just start planning our trip. <laughs> well, Darren, well, I thank think you so I, Well, oh, I, say, yeah, I, I, I thank you guys for having me on. And I, please, please, please come on the road show and uh, let us know what you think of it. Absolutely. Oh, we we totally will. Um, well, Darren, I want to thank you for coming on. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening tonight. I want to thank Darren Lynn uh, Bowsman for being on the show with us. And please go um, check out, I believe it's devilscarnival.com. Uh, find out the tour dates. Tickets are on sale right now for the Devil's Carnival tour. Um, also, be sure to check out horrorhoundweekend.com. Um, tickets are still available for the convention. Um, it is March 23rd through the 25th in Columbus, Ohio. And once again, we want to thank you for listening and have a great night. See you later. Bye-bye.
before everyone drops to zero.